Welcome to the D2C Slingshot Podcast. I'm your host, Lockie Thompson, and I'm also the founder of Social Slingshot, a paid advertising agency. This podcast is your go-to resource for e-commerce entrepreneurs seeking insights from industry leaders and experts. If you've magically stumbled across this podcast, I'm truly grateful you've chosen to listen. If you have any questions whatsoever or specific topics you'd like us to cover, do not hesitate to reach out to me on Instagram at Lucky Social Slingshot. While this podcast is tailored to the broader e-commerce community, if you're ever in need of direct marketing assistance, remember that Social Slingshot is here to help. Our mission is to drive as much success for as many e-commerce brands as possible by being the most results-driven and client-focused agency in the market. Now, with all the admin stuff taken care of, let's dive straight into today's episode. G'day, everyone. Welcome back to the D2C Slingshot podcast. Today, I'm joined with the founder of Kings of Neon, Steve. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Lockie. Thanks for having me, mate. Yeah, and for those who don't know, Steve owns one of the fastest growing companies in Australia, but do you just want to give yourself a quick introduction and a little rundown on how you started the business? Yeah, certainly. Uh, I think for, first and foremost, I'm a dad. So dad, two kids, uh, nine and six. Um, and then also, you know, obviously I'm a husband. You know, I've got a lovely wife too of, of 11 years. I think that's important to sort of showcase in business. But in essence, mate, I was uh, I was in real estate and then I went into gyms and I've been to the mines and I was a DJ of, a, uh, of an events company. Um, and then essentially COVID hit, so we were renting out these LED signs um, as part of you know the weddings and events that we went to, and just saw a little glimmer of hope uh, in the sense of selling sort of custom and online um, neons. So never been in e- e-commerce or done anything like that. Decided to build out a website, and yeah, once COVID hit, I didn't really have an extra choice of how to earn money, so decided to go all all in on this. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty common trend for these podcasts at the moment. I swear everyone started their business in COVID. I haven't had anyone before that or maybe 2018, uh, yeah, the furthest yeah. back. But yeah, there were so many businesses in that boom. But I just want to go back to the start. You sounded a bit like a job jockey. Do you just want to tell me a little bit about that experience, hopping around from different jobs all the time? Like, were you a bad employee or... Uh, no, I, th- I think it's, uh, maybe I look younger than, than my years, mate. But, uh, so that was over a span, I guess, of about sort of 18 or oh, what? Yeah. Six. No. Yeah. 14 years. So in essence, uh, I started out of school in real estate. Uh, so I did a traineeship there and, uh, did, you know, two years in, in real estate. I was super young and super arrogant. So, and I wanted Perfect to earn, for real estate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I wanted to go on and earn the, the big bucks and essentially I was being held back uh, probably by my maturity and my age. So I actually decided to go over to the mines then. Uh, so I went over to uh, Perth and was an underground diamond driller. And in essence, uh, I... I made my 100,000 odd a year at the age of 19, 20. And I fulfilled my my dream of getting my first house when I was 20. Uh, so so that was the, the goal, I guess, uh, in essence, for that little sort of trip. Came back from there and I got into gyms. Uh, so gyms was with Fitness First and I was there for around two odd years. Again, pretty 
Um, I was told that I was still too young to go and do all the types of things that I wanted to do, and but yet still probably a little bit immature. And I was actually approached by Michael Hill Jewelers. Um, so Michael Hill Jewelers hit me up and I actually spent eight years at Michael Hill Jewelers and sort of uh, got to travel around Australia and the world and um, work in sort of different countries with them, which was pretty fun, uh, but inevitably got over it and decided to start a business in events. Yeah, awesome. And you just want to touch a little bit on Kings of Neon. What do you actually sell? And yeah, talk about the business growth to where you've built it today. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so we primarily sell LED neon signs. Uh, so we do sell other types of signage, uh, depending on the, the customer and the use case, uh, as well as uh, strip neon. Uh, in essence, we started off selling to Australia, but now we sell more globally, but in predominantly in the US and Australia. Uh, so yeah, the first year, um, well, the first sort of few couple of months we did, you know, sixty, seventy thousand $70,000. And then the next year we did 800,000 and then following three and a half. And then last year we did five and now we're on track to do about eight to 10. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And were there many competitors in the space at the time doing what you were doing? Yeah, there was a few, there was a few early starters, probably um, maybe sort of one to three years. Interestingly enough, Australia has some pretty prominent players in like globally for LED neon signs. So a lot of two of the larger companies are actually Australian based as well and Melbourne based. So, um, and they were previous to us coming on board. But yeah, now I have, I think, about 350 uh, different competitors. Uh, in every so factory in China. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, it's a it's an e easy entry point for most. Um, normally, they come and go pretty quickly. Um, they see an opportunity and realize how hard it actually is. But uh, look, I mean, it's it's all part of the game. It's um, it's a bit of fun. And, you know, sometimes it's interesting because you see people's different take on it. And, you know, you might learn something or... Uh, something new and it always keeps us on our toes too so it's good yeah for sure and you just spoke about your explosive growth and you had a few competitors back in the day you just want to touch on like your brand positioning because you made like nearly 100k in your first six months or so that monthly yeah. yeah so look i mean from a brand point of view it was like i really i I'd, I'd never like i had a small you know part of a small events company um that was based on personality versus a brand. So I've never built a brand. I've never built an e-commerce site, never built a business as such. Um, I guess the benefit to my previous existence is I'd ran pretty large teams um, and sales teams predominantly. So the only way I knew how to win initially was to hustle. And I hustled hard. And in essence, where we initially got wins was where most people weren't willing to do the work. So I'd pick up the phone for abandoned checkouts. Um, I had a mantra. It was me and myself and my computer. So I had a mantra in essence to, you know, contact the customer within five minutes of them making an inquiry or, you know, even as they were hitting the website, you know, I'd because we had such low numbers on the website, um, I could see the live tracking of like, you know, two or three people on Shopify and I'd keep it eye open on, you know, abandoned checkout if they didn't check out. And then I'd be like straight on it if they made an inquiry or something like that. So 
during COVID, there wasn't much to do. Um, so that was my sort of life. And I just made sure that I gave them the best possible customer service to begin with, which gave us our first like leg up of, of cash to expand. Yeah, that's definitely something that most brand founders aren't willing to do. Even after five or even 10 years is get on the phone and ring some customers yeah. and ask yeah. or objection handle. I guess you learned a bit of that from your real estate days. Yeah, yeah. Look, real estate, um, yeah, I guess Michael Hill, oddly enough, was um, a pretty salesy-based in, in yeah. environment. And, and Fitness First, if you remember Fitness First back in the day, it was like sell or sell or die sort of culture. So um it was good in that sense you know it's very much driven on the culture of closing uh and and that's how i've always sort of gone about um, my sales process so yeah it's interesting because kings of neon isn't the typical e-commerce business um and that's ultimately where we've won because our competitors aren't willing to do the work um and provide um that extra amazing customer service whereas that's where we're driven by we're we're a bunch of retailers and uh, we come with a heap of experience and our customers really appreciate that. So, Yeah, for sure. And I'm, I'm sure it wasn't all smooth sailing for you. What was some of the hardest stages of growth for you? Was it like initially beginning or was it between like 10 and 50K or more like 100, 250K hitting your first million dollars? Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, they kind of come along every two to three weeks to be completely honest with you. Um, look, I think... Having gone through this this journey for the last few years, um, there's just different there's different struggles and and they all probably have a similar weight to it. The look at early on initially is the fact I didn't pay myself, uh, so I didn't pay myself for the first really twelve eighteen months. Um, I'd take the odd cashy or things like that, and um, you know everything was driven back into the business as a whole. Um, uh, so that was obviously difficult and wanting to provide and, you know, having, you know, a young family and whichever else. Uh, so just sort of making those ends meet and doing other jobs, um, to make ends meet and, and putting it all together. Uh, so yeah, I had two, three jobs really in the first year of Kings and Neon, um, and different things. So that was definitely difficult, uh, through to, you know, my first bass, you know, first real decent bass that I paid. <laughs> which was emotional. I think like I had like 30 grand in the bank and the bass was 26 and it would just like, it just hit me between the eyes. I thought I, you know, I was getting ahead and I had 30 grand, but then the government wanted to take, you know, 95% of it. So yeah, that's one of my uh, pet hates as well. You have this balance sitting there <laughs> waiting for the end of the year and you can see it yeah. in your bank balance and then you just get hit with that bill and you're just like, Oh fuck. Like, yeah. Just exactly great one right. again. Exactly right. Exactly right. So that's, you know, it's obviously difficult. Um, and then you might have, you know, you'll have massive, you know, you'll have big orders that may get big delays or big expectations or, um, you know, you know, moments where, you know, things don't necessarily go to plan, um, which is really difficult through to um, expansion and growth where you want to run really fast and you want to like just climb to the moon but you may have just overextended yourself like um mentally and and uh and also just purely the fact i've never built a business this size before so i don't know what i don't know um through to you know a couple of weeks ago right you know you might have a 
a harder month or you might have had a, a bigger investment period. Uh, we're investing a lot into growth in different avenues and um, we didn't have as good a month as what we thought we would. So, um, you know, overall, uh, we've got a few different entities in the King's business and, you know, it, it's up to me to pay for those 40, 45 families that I help feed, right? So uh, there's a lot of weight and pressure on on that as well to make sure that, you know, we are delivering, we are hitting our budgets, we are expanding, we are growing because people get really, really addicted to that too. That's our culture is the fact that we come in, we win, we work hard, we push, we grind. So um, I make sure that, you know, I'm delivering on my promise from from my side as sort of founder and CEO. Yeah, for sure. And you sort of answered one of my next questions already, but that's more about your team. Like you said, you had 40, 45 families that you have to feed and through yeah. the business. I just want to tell me a little bit about your first hire and who you hired and why you made that decision and if yeah, it was the sure. right one as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so, you know, the main hire, you know, the first sort of full-time employee, uh, his name is Mark, uh, who's, a, who's a legend. He used to work with me at Michael Hill. So he was a fellow manager at Michael Hill. And in essence, you know, he wasn't happy. He wasn't stoked about what he was doing. Um, bit of a shit job, a bit of a boring job. And I came back, I did a little, you know, retreat with one of my mates who also was a, you know, is an entrepreneur. And we went up to Kingscliff and we were just, we were just feeling good. And I just called Mark at the end of it and I said, mate, just come on board. Um, and we sort of met and had Mexican, I think, you know, a few days later, I said, look, I can pay you for three months. I've got three months of cash. If it doesn't go well, we gave it a shot. If it does go well, we just keep going for the ride. And, you know, um, for us, it was very much about, yeah. And what I'm passionate about inspiring, especially on sort of my talks and, and also, um, I guess the podcast as well is the fact that I was in that nine to five job that I hated. Like I just severely disliked it. I thought that was my journey. That was my vision planned out the next 10, 20 years. And I wasn't seen, I wasn't heard um, enough to my liking. And, and inevitably I was just, I was unhappy. And, but I see a lot of, men especially with you know kids and families um where they have the expectation to provide and don't necessarily get that opportunity to make that jump and like for us for for mark and myself um it's very much you know we were retailers so you know we're stuck in retail you know that's that was going to be our existence and we fucking hated it like we hated it. We disliked retail. I didn't want to, I don't dislike going to the local shopping center every time just because you spent like eight, 10, you know, in gyms, I spent, you know, two, three years there too. So it's a lot of time in shopping centers and we just wanted to recreate the definition of who we were as professionals as well. Yeah, I went through a similar thing myself. Like I was carpet laying before I did the digital marketing thing online. So every time I go past a job site or something like that, especially during the day when I'm going to grab a coffee or something, I'm like, holy shit, thank God I'm not doing that anymore. For sure, man, for sure. And and that's the thing, you know, it, it takes a brave conversation or it takes a brave move to take that big step because you have to, the step isn't up, it's the steps down. So. 
Yeah. Before so, you get that. Obviously. Yeah. Obviously, you hired Mark. What about some of your other hires along the way? What's been like one of the most impactful hires for you? Uh... G'day D2C Slingshot listeners. Before we get back to our awesome discussion, I want to take a moment to share something special with you. Are you an e-commerce brand looking for clarity and guidance on your digital advertising strategy? Well, you're in luck. At Social Slingshot, we offer free 15-minute account audits to help you navigate this minefield. These quick but comprehensive audits are designed to provide you with valuable insights, personalized recommendations, and a clearer path to success. Whether you're struggling with ad performance, looking to optimize your campaigns, or just seeking some expert advice, our team is here to help. We'll review your current strategies, identify opportunities, and offer tips tailored to your brand. Don't let uncertainty hold your e-commerce business back. Take advantage of our free 15-minute account audits today. It's the first step towards maximizing your ad spend and crushing your competitors. To schedule your free audit, simply visit our website at www.socialslingshotau.com or send us a direct message on Instagram at LockieSocialSlingshot. Let's slingshot your sales together. Now, back to our episode. Yeah, look, there's there's been a bunch. Um, look, uh, there's a lady by the name of Sarah. Uh, so Sarah's actually working in London at the moment. Uh, so she traveled over there uh, around sort of 10 months ago. And I remember her coming in. Um, so we were kind of a a pretty pretty grubby bunch. We we're uh, working out of a a warehouse, um, you know, that was shared with an architect. That you know, we we're just sort of like just hustling to sort of get by. And uh, Sarah rocked up in a Mercedes, you know, dressed to the nines, and uh, she's like, "Yeah, I wouldn't mind coming on board and joining this." And I'm like, "Mate, you're a kid, <laughs> you sure?" <laughs> <laughs> But I think um, what's really, what's been really important and what's massive for me with Sarah is, um, I guess, uh, and Sarah's now, you know, bought in as as a part owner into the business as well. And I wanted to give, you know, the the, the more uh, invested uh, employees, like, you know, ownership over the business and the growth. So in essence, um, what we needed to do there's just like, or what she did for us, shall I say, is just like really brought on that trusting element for me. I need as, as a solo entrepreneur, it gets really quite tough. Um, you don't have anyone to talk to. You don't have anyone to share the journey with. You don't have anyone to, you know, experience it with. And um, as much of a legendary kind of employee she is and, and how hard that uh, Sarah works. She also gives me that space to um, to be vulnerable and and sort of go through those ups and downs as well. Yeah, for sure. And what did she take over for you within the business? Was it like a marketing or is it like team management? Or So it's an interesting journey. Um, so I put up an ad for a salesperson in essence. And before Sarah came on to the, I guess, onto the, um, to the picture, we hired a gentleman for sales, but I just knew that Sarah would be perfect in some way, shape or fashion. And I just said, look, I just think you're a good human. How about you come along and we'll figure it out as we go. Uh, so uh, Sarah's literally filled the gap for me. I uh, did a bit of travel um, around sort of 18 months, two years ago. And she was uh, in essence, kind of like a step in CEO and 
and ran the business holistically uh, through to uh, more sitting in the CMO and, and branding space um, for Kings. And now uh, she runs our in-house marketing team called Cookie Dough Marketing. So, yeah. Yeah, awesome. So you've branched off and Cookie Dough Marketing is another agency, like well, an agency yeah. connected to Kings of Neon? Yeah, so the, it's an agency connected to Kings of Neon. Uh, the reason for it was um, mainly, you know, no offense, but like you get quite uh, despairing. Uh, uh, There's a lot of shit agencies out there. Output of, <laughs> of an agency. And, you know, and again, like our culture is like run, run hard, run fast, you know, kind of uh, mentality. And we just found that the agencies that we were pairing with at the time just couldn't run fast with us. And, you know, obviously, you know, we were getting this amazing growth. We took our um, marketing in-house um, just about uh, just before this time last year. So about September, October. And all of a sudden we were kind of flatlining for four or five months and we just went power, you know, and, and had this amazing growth again. Um, what, was that ma what was the major turning point? Was it just like speed of delivery of creatives and the speed that you're making changes within accounts or like what was that major turning point? Uh, it's probably a combination of things. I think um, in my opinion where agencies kind of get it wrong is – you really need to have the same person talk, you know, looking after your account. Like it's really hard to obviously engage with the brand when you're talking to them once a week, you know, and as much as, you know, it, it may work and it may work really well. Um, we had quite a complex, we've got quite a complex business. It's not necessarily the standard e-com, push this button, push that button, hype, push, push, like we've got a, a large off-site B2B style business and then we've got, you know, obviously the online side of it. So some marketers will come in and really try and drive online, but that would tank B2B. Some would go, oh, well, you're getting a lot of your revenue from B2B, so they push B2B and tank online. Um, there was never really a gel or an understanding of how it could run both and Typically, a lot of agencies like to just go hard at low-hanging fruit, you know, and um, I think so. I think for us, it was just the cohesion. You know, we over a couple of years, I've been frustrated to learn enough about Google Ads and learn enough about Facebook Ads, um, jumped in some communities and courses and and just lent in, in essence, and just kind of, you know, went, well, you know, this is, this is me, this is my business, got to learn it and, and uh, just start to learn it from the inside out. Yeah, for sure. And is Cookie Dough Marketing still managing the Kings of Neon accounts? Yeah, they sort of yeah, outgrown you. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, so um, it's a little bit of an interesting play there. Um, some sort of like it, some don't. It, it, it's up to the individual, but it's a way of uh, we only partner with a very small, select group of brands. We don't bring on this masses. We're not looking to grow. We yep. and it. Cookie Dough Marketing was started to look after our brands and the future of our brands. So, you know, there's a few different things in the works in the background. So we've got a ready-made team that can obviously execute on paid SEO, you know, content, email, uh, creatives. So if we need to push something out, we need something quickly, we can have something in one to two days sort of thing. So 
yeah so that's uh, at a relative of the cost it would be to have all yeah. of those individuals in there so yeah. Yeah, of course. That's definitely a competitive edge. Now you yeah. just spoke about having multiple brands. Do you have, have you started other businesses now? Yeah, well, I guess, yeah. So, um, wasn't that a bin design thing you posted on TikTok a few months ago? What was that? Sorry. Your, your bin designs. Yes. You, you posted a TikTok. Oh, yeah, bin designs. <laughs> it hasn't uh, no, kicked I, off yet. <laughs> no, no, no. Like I've got a lot of, uh, product ideas and whichever else. Uh, Sarah is going to be launching a brand um, called Slide, um, which will come in uh, next next year, which is pretty exciting. Uh, we've obviously got you know Cookie Dough um, uh, Kings. We kind of split up into two, so it's Kings and Neon, Kings and Neon US or Global, um, which is kind of those brands. We've got another um, AI uh, and sort of development company. Um, that sits in the backgrounds, not development, so more AI um, software like SaaS uh, that we're building out, which uh, should hopefully launch in sort of three to six months. So there's a few things in the background. I'm also part of another like a zinc company um, that's kind of like early stage startup as well. So yeah, there's a few kind of little ones, big ones uh, in the in the middle ones. So yeah, yeah, keeping yourself busy. <laughs> I get bored pretty easily. Um, you know, it's funny because I remember listening to, I listen to podcasts most days and I really, I love Alex Hormozzi and, you know, Gary V and they're sort of like, just lean into the one thing, one thing, one thing, not so much Gary, Gary like dabbles, but you know, he's like, <laughs> when you start leaning to the one thing, one thing, one thing. And it's almost like, it was like permission one day when I was listening to Stephen Bartlett, uh, Diary CEO, talking to uh, Richard Branson. And it was a really powerful moment for me. And he just said, I just keep opening things. And if I didn't keep opening things, then some of those businesses would have failed. Because, you know, you look at COVID and our airline would have failed and our hotels would have failed you know if we didn't have virgin money or you know virgin phones or whatever it may be so he's like you know i just find really great people to run those businesses and i'm like well that's what i do you know that's that's what i that's what you know i get excited about is is finding great people um that i can then sort of spread that risk and spread that responsibility and, and allow them to run and, and succeed as well. So I was like, you know what? I want to do it. I'm a little bit bored. So why not open up some more stuff? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, yeah. surely you can't be bored in November. Obviously, Black Friday is a couple of weeks away. But from my understanding, you actually launched about a week or so ago at the start of November. You just want to tell me a little bit of the thinking behind launching so early? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so as I was saying to you uh, before we sort of chatted, like Kings of Neon isn't the traditional Black Friday business. We don't have a bunch of stock that we're looking to. I mean, the whole concept of Black Friday was essentially to move stock, right? Uh, so we are a print to order, you know, in essence, we're a make to order brand. So uh, we don't have that style of business. And also, um, our purchases and repeat purchases aren't as great as, as some of the other sort of Black Friday or traditional Black Friday brands. 
So last year we went uh, live on around the 15th, 16th, but our competitors, a lot of them went live on the 1st of November. So we just thought, look, you know what, um, let's go and start then. Um, let's see if we can be more competitive and grab, you know, some percentage points in, in growth earlier and then possibly see if we can sort of raise higher uh, once that Black Friday hits. Um, as you can probably sort of like see as well, like a lot of brands obviously do a lot of hype in, in October, start spending, increase spending. Um, so for us, it's like, well, let's increase spend in November with an offer, see if we can fill that funnel more so we can um, attack the Black Friday um, fans when Black Friday hits, when they actually like, no, nah, nah, I'm waiting for Black Friday because it's going to be the best deal ever. Uh, so yeah, that's essentially the reasoning. Yeah. And you're happy with how things have been progressing so far? Like, are you all in on one plan or do you have a few backup plans in case something doesn't work as well? Or I think it's important to always have a backup plan. Um, you know, it's, it's always a risk reward uh, November for sure. I think most of the, it's like Christmas in retail. Most of the shoppers come out in the last two weeks. It's the same with Black Friday. I think most of the shoppers will, you look at the trend reports and whichever else, they don't start until probably next Friday. Um, and that's when it starts to ramp up. So um, yeah, happy with where it's at at the moment. Always want more, always pushing for more. Uh, but nonetheless, it's all going in the direction that we hoped thus far. So it's good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And just like you want your store to keep continuing to grow, what about yourself? Like how do you stay in touch with yourself and your personal development side of things? What are maybe some resources you look to on a daily basis? Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't want to take up too much of your time on this because I, I geek out on this subject <laughs> quite a lot. Uh, so I actually, I, I'm a big advocate of this one saying. Uh, it was actually Sarah that told me this saying. As much as I tell it back to her now, she doesn't really like it. <laughs> but it's, you are where you are for a reason. And in this world, especially the Western world, we're all impatient. We're all wanting more. We're all desiring more, but we're not willing to wait for it or we're not willing to do the work to experience it. And when I started to understand that, that's when I really started to, you know, look after myself. Again, talking about my youth years, I was arrogant. Um, I was probably lucky that I was, you know, intellectually smarter than, the average Joe. So I just rode that. I rode it, rode it, rode it. And, but I didn't read. I didn't look after myself. You know, I'd do the odd sport and I was okay shape and whichever else, but I didn't invest in myself at all. You know, I didn't see the value in it until, uh, you know, when you said the hard moments, it was, it was that bass moment. So the bass came through and I'm like, Oh my God, like it just, blasted myself and worked, you know, worked hard, did all over Christmas, working a couple of jobs, and, you know, and I've got three grand left in the bank. And uh, I was listening to Andy Frazella, and I'm not sure if you know the guy, but he has a has a uh, a course, course uh, program called 75 Hard, and he's yeah, a very aggressive American. He's just like, and it was like literally he was right there in front of me, and he's like, Stop being a bitch. Just go and do it. 
And that was about two and a half years ago. Um, and I've been doing that program pretty much on and off for, for the whole time. So that's, you know, I don't drink. I read every day. Uh, I'm a big advocate of Wim Hof. I take sh cold showers. Um, things to just not necessarily in the ways of like that makes me some sort of superhuman but it just keeps me in a routine um i'm an undiagnosed kind of add adhd kind of guy i can't sit still my head spirals everywhere so i wake up um just before four o'clock every morning i read i journal i go to the gym i do my cold showers i do my breath work and it just sets me up for the day um and I'd say that I'd probably do that 300 days out of 365 most over the last two and a half years sort of thing. So Yeah, awesome. It sounds like you got in before it became trendy to jump in the ice bath. Uh, yeah, I actually haven't jumped in an ice bath yet, believe it or not. Um, so cold showers is, I live in a pretty cold spot. Um, so it's pretty cold. I think yeah. a lot of, um, of data has come out uh dude called uh, i forget his first name is huberman and he just said look you don't have to jump in freezing cold water like jump in mildly cold for three to five minutes and that's more than enough to get the uh the health benefits and and mental benefits out of it so i was like cool i couldn't be bothered setting up an ice bath and i don't want to spend five grand on one so let's just do that yeah, and then five grand on the ice to keep refilling it. Yeah, yeah, it's the effort. And yeah. then I've got to drain it. And then it's like, you know, I don't yeah. need the Insta, the Insta photo of me in the ice bath going, how cool, cool am I sort of thing. So I just get it done. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll, have to sh I'll have to clip that and send that to a couple of my mates because I've got a couple of those Snapchats. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they'll jump in once and, uh, you know, they clock the timer, but, you know, for five yeah. minutes, we've probably only been here for 15 seconds. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, we're coming to the end, but before I let you go, if you were to go back in time, uh, what would you tell yourself or do differently? Um, Other than being an arrogant um, young boy. From a marketing perspective, <laughs> spend money on SEO. That is a hot tip. Um, I would take that take that and uh every day of the week if i uh, you know obviously starting new businesses is a focus to start with with seo and and drive organic content is definitely a play um and then from a personal standpoint is you've got time time's on your side it's all good you know just time's on your side mate so yeah in essence yeah, sweet as. Well, thanks so much for coming on today. I really enjoyed this episode. But before you jump off, you just want to give a quick plug to your socials or where people can interact with you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, look, um, on Instagram, we are the Kings of Neon. On every other platform, we are Kings of Neon. So whether it be LinkedIn, uh, YouTube, Twitter, in essence. So yeah, that's us. Awesome. All right, cool. Thanks so much for coming on and we'll see everyone in the next episode. Thanks, Lockie. Appreciate it. Hey, D2C Slingshot listeners. Unfortunately, this episode has come to an end. If you did make it this far, I'm pretty sure you enjoyed it. So how about hitting the thumbs up, leaving a comment or even smashing subscribe? Any engagement or feedback truly helps us improve and grow. 
And remember, if you have any questions at all or insights you'd like to share, the best place to reach me is on Instagram at Lockie Social Slingshot. Thank you for listening and I'll see you on the next one.